0: Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So throughout 2021, I'm going to start a mammoth project, which is going to be to read the entirety of Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry. And uh, so this is public domain, and plus we don't get paid for this, so there's no issues there. And if you don't know what this is or you're not familiar with it, it's a seven-volume set, uh, almost like encyclopedias, covering all kinds of information. And so we're going to start from the very beginning on the preface. So comprehensive a title as the one selected for the present work would be a vain assumption if the author's object was not really to embrace in a series of studies, the whole cycle of Masonic history and science. Such was the opening sentence written by Brother Albert Gallatin Mackey for the first edition of this truly monumental history of Freemasonry. None knew better than he the full force of what he then observed. None were so fully capable of carrying out so great an undertaking And none would have so readily acknowledged the need for revision when later discoveries should unearth new and weighty facts relating to the old information. Of this conviction, we are more thoroughly assured, because Brother Mackey invariably practiced what he preached, writing in a spirit of candor deserving of every praise and imitation, especially by the Masonic historian. And then in the paragraph, there's a little subnote that says, Progress means the ability to improve. Brother Mackey always frankly and promptly adopted all new and reliable methods of cautious research and was equally candid over the puzzling situations sometimes brought about by other writers in mixing facts with fiction. Pointing out that the very age of the Masonic institution had tended to confuse mere traditions or legends with the authentic truths of history, he welcomed light from all directions, but carefully applied critical standards to the source and standing of the information that came his way by no means was he ready to reject the Masonic legend as fable. On the contrary, he clearly declares that an object of his in writing the story of Freemasonry was to show that these Masonic legends contained the germs of a historical record, mingled often with the symbolical idea, and that when these statements were stripped of their worthless husks, the colonel almost always presents in that simple form a philosophic message. And then in the... Uh, paragraph there there's a note that says tradition holds the germ of much truth to establish this principle in the literature of freemasonry to divest the legends of the craft of the false values given to them by blind belief and to protect them from the equally false estimate bestowed upon them by the excessive disbelief of those unphilosophical skeptics who view them but as idle fables without more meaning than what these doubters attach to monkish legends as Brother Mackey says, was the purpose he pursued to place even the legendary history of Freemasonry in the just position which it should occupy, but had never possessed. And the note there in that paragraph says, Mackey's works are the standard authorities. Casting aside the old theories of Freemasonry, having an origin at the Temple of Solomon, or from the pagan mysteries, or in the Crusades, Brother Mackey sought in the records of the past for a closer and more probable connecting link in the chain of evidence. Finding the Roman colleges of artificers to meet his expectations, they having an almost identical organization of builders and architects, he traced with the greatest diligence their growth and progress. Freemasons of the Roman Empire, they traveled through the provinces with the victorious legions of the Caesars, teaching by example and precept the architectural arts to Italians, Spaniards, Gauls, and Britons. The empire fell by decay, but the splendid stone structures survived, an enduring example and a record for imitation and research. The note in that paragraph says how the craft spread abroad. These conclusions of Brother Mackey have been upheld by later investigation, though we need not exclude other promising paths of discovery. Freemasonry has so broad an angle of vision that we may rather assume the craft indebted to several sources than to any one. However likely that may be an appeal or promise. Proposing as he did to trace a connection of historical continuity extending from the first appearance of any association wherein we may search for the origin of modern Freemasonry, and from thence to the present when the origination has assumed a well known form, Brother Mackey held that there were two elements marked well in every link of that chain of evidence. First, there must be an operative element. Freemasonry can be traced only to an association of builders or architects. Every ceremony in the ritual, every symbol in the philosophy of speculative Freemasonry positively proves that it has been derived from, and is closely connected with, the art of building. The first Freemasons were builders. They could have been nothing else. To seek for them in a mystical religious association as the ancient pagan mysteries, or in an institution of chivalry as in the Knights of the Crusades, was in Brother Mackey's opinion a vain and unprofitable task. As well, says he, might one look for the birthplace of the eagle in the egg of the crow as to attempt to trace the origin of Freemasonry in anything other than an association of builders. The note for this paragraph says, Freemasonry is based on the builder's art. Then there must be the spirit of the guild. Those who have come together must not have grouped themselves temporarily for the mere purpose of doing a certain trade task. Each man wholly independent of the others, and arbitrarily exercising only his own skill, A permanent organization there must be, a common unity of interest, a division of labor, a spirit of fellowship and fraternity, in short, an organization forward-looking for all. A certain number of craftsmen brought together to construct an edifice and then, after its erection, to separate, each on his own footing, from his fellows to seek further employment under the new masters with new companions, could never, under any such circumstances, be concentrated and welded into such organizations as would, in the lapse of time, give rise to the lodges of modern speculative Freemasons. And the note for this paragraph says, Guild Spirit, the Bond of Union. Such is the plan of the history that has been pursued in the present work," says Brother Mackey, a plan which materially and essentially differs from that of any preceding writer. Iconoclasts have composed monographs in which they attacked particular fallacies and denounced special forgeries, but the history of Freemasonry as a whole has not been before written with the same spirit of candor that has been or should always be exercised in the composition of history. Doubtless, the well-settled and carefully nourished prejudices of some will be shocked by any attempt to expose the fallacies and falsehoods which have too long tarnished the annals of Freemasonry. Yet such an attempt cannot, if it be successfully pursued, but command the approval of all who believe with Cicero that history is the witness of time, the light of truth, and the life of memory. The note for that paragraph says, a guide worthy of all esteem. While Brother Mackey's death cut short the full output he had planned and other hands than his carried forward the labor from where he had left the working tools, yet the program has laid down by him has been to his successors a constant guide. Nothing in the present revision has been written save in the spirit of his intentions and as we fully believe would have met the approval of Brother Mackey. None would more promptly than he have taken advantage of the later discoveries. For while the convictions he held regarding the sources of Freemasonry are today as convincing as ever, we now have the greater range of facts, if for no other reason than there is available a much larger store of them. Owing to the researches of Brother Henry Sadler regarding the early relations, one to the other, of the two Grand Lodges at London in the 18th century, and by which the Union of 1813 so happily settled the old conflict of authority, we no longer look upon the situation from the same angle as of old. Much material has also been unearthed by Brother William J. Hugan and his able co-workers of the famous Quatuor Coronati Lodge, especially in tracing the old charges. These precious documentary relics of early Freemasonry. Of the spread of the craft over the globe and the degrees associated therewith, we all owe much, indeed, to the patient studies of Brother Robert F. Gould, no one interested in the Morgan episode can ignore the investigation of brother John Ross Robertson. And on other topics, we have the information collected by brothers A.F.A. Woodward, George W. Speth, E.L. Hawkins, Dr. W.J. Chetwood Crawley, Dr. W. Begeman, and others. And the note for that paragraph says more information is now available. All these brethren have passed on to their eternal reward all were keenly interested in the present work, and in the revision, nearly all of them actively contributed, encouraging messages of scholarly cooperation and by other helpful means. The late brother huguen read the earlier editions closely and wrote at considerable length many useful suggestions which have been duly incorporated in the present work. In fact, every available source of information has been used. Masonic libraries everywhere welcome the search for facts, and hearty acknowledgment is here accorded to Brothers Julius F. Sash and J. E. Burnett Buckingham of the Grand Lodge Library at Philadelphia, Brothers George Fleming Moore, John H. Cowles, and William L. Boyden of the Scottish Rite Library at Washington, Brothers N. R. Parvin and C. C. Hunt of the Iowa Masonic Library at Cedar Rapids. Brothers Scott Bonham, John L. McLeish, and Frank S. Bonham of the Masonic Library Association at Cincinnati, Grand Secretary Frederick W. Hamilton of the Grand Lodge Library at Boston, and Brother W.J. Songhurst of Quatuar Coronati Lodge, Number 2076, London, England. No attempt can be made to list all the brothers whose courteous cooperation has contributed generously to the success of this revision. On first taking up the question with the Grand Secretaries of every Masonic jurisdiction and of every coordinate body in North America and many other countries, the matter frequently became the subject there of conference and of correspondence with Grand Lodge historians and Grand Recorders and Grand Secretaries, national and state, and committees of various titles, but all most helpful. Every page was submitted for correction to an authority upon the subject. This broadening of the field of inquiry over a half-dozen years of labor resulted in a splendid harvest of contributed facts. Due acknowledgment will be found in the pages of the work for the fine spirit so generally exhibited by those to whom any appeal was made for assistance. From all quarters there was the universal response, based upon the cordial recognition of Dr. Mackey's pioneer researches, and the earnest desire to aid in checking every statement that through error of author or printer might be in any wise at fault. Thus, every item has been tested by those best qualified to guarantee accuracy. And the note for this paragraph says many authorities furnished facts. Much new material has been introduced. Aside from numerous editions to be found everywhere in the text covering the topics treated in the former editions by brothers Albert G. Mackey and W. R. Singleton, some entirely new chapters have been added to round out the story of Freemasonry in other countries. And to deal with such related matters as the order of high priesthood, the ancient Arabic order, nobles of the mystic shrine, the mystic order veiled prophets of the enchanted realm, and the order of the eastern star. And the note in this paragraph says additions made to the old book. Something should be said here to those who undertake the study of Freemasonry. While the effort has earnestly been made to furnish accurately and concisely the facts concerning the craft in many countries and through the various periods of history, yet this very complete account may be an awkward problem to handle by the reader who is not familiar to some extent with the subject or with historical researches. To begin with the first chapter, and studiously work steadily through the whole series of books in regular order will take considerable time, if done carefully. The note in this paragraph is how to study Freemasonry. There is but one remedy. Choose your own main object of Masonic inquiry. Locate the several references to it in the index at the end of the work. Look in the index for every word that has any bearing whatever on the subject the reader proposes to examine. He will probably find several promising references. Let him take those up in order, reading the chapters that touch in any way upon them. From this start, the reader will gradually, pleasantly, and logically enlarge his scope of preferred studies. In due time, the whole field of Freemasonry will be open to the student, and, building his knowledge upon the facts first sought by him because of their special appeal to his taste, he will the more happily and thoroughly extend his reading. By this simple course of inquiry, the study of the book is made attractive of approach. The unfolding of the knowledge it contains is rendered easy to grasp, and the one chosen topic leads the reader naturally on to a larger variety of studies, all systematically related and affording the greatest satisfaction by this delightful and rational method. The note for that paragraph is, Proficiency made easy and rapid. Now we come to the last few words, and again our grateful pen would fain record the appreciation felt toward the Freemasons everywhere whose great goodwill has never failed. Editorially, the long, laborious task of revision was sweetened and sustained by the ready response from all quarters, the characteristic cooperative spirit of the Masonic Brotherhood, continually in evidence and always of genial service. To Melvin M. Johnson, past Grand Master of Massachusetts, Frank H. Johnson, Grand Recorder of the Grand Encampment, Knights Templar of the United States, Charles A. Conover, General Grand Secretary of the General Grand Chapter Royal Archmasons, Henry W. Mordhurst, General Grand Recorder of the General Grand Council, Royal and Select Masters, the special thanks are due. The help of every Grand Secretary and many other Masonic officials at home and abroad were sought successfully. Therefore, any attempt to mention all is barred by sheer lack of space. But among the numerous fellow craftsmen in this great undertaking, none were more zealous than Brother Walter C. Burl, President of the Masonic History Company, whose abiding faith and earnest encouragement will ever be fondly remembered. And that concludes the preface of this revision of the book. And the revision is done by Robert Ingham Clegg, 33rd Degree. And again, this is Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry by Robert Ingham Clegg. And that, my brethren, was just the preface. So hang on. We got a lot to go through. And I'm going to go ahead and go through them all in order, even though he kind of recommends to uh, find the topics that interest you and then start with those. But we'll make sure that the show notes and that the titles are uh, representative enough that if you want to search for certain ones or you only want to listen to certain ones or in a certain order, you can always go back. So thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you on the next round. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment.